Welcome to PwC's weekly accounting podcast series. I'm Heather Horn. Before we jump into today's episodes, I thought I'd just say that we here on the podcast team hope everyone's doing well and adapting to all the changes. I know I personally am dealing with two teenagers home from spring break with lots of video games being played in my house these days. Hope everyone else was also able to adapt their plans. And with that, let's go into today's episode. It's a continuation of our series of episodes to keep you posted on frequently asked questions surrounding the accounting impacts of the coronavirus. Today's focus is on interim reporting. Joining me remotely to lead our discussion is Eric Sullivan, a PwC National Office Director. And with that, let's get started. Thanks so much for joining me today for a podcast that we've had on the books for quite some time, but that the topics I think have changed from what we had originally planned. Um, a lot more to talk about than I think we had realized. So, uh, but for our listeners, our focus today is going to be on interim reporting. And I think start things off with some of the recent developments from the SEC and then move into some other kind of key reminders. So obviously, COVID-19 is top of mind. I know there's been a lot of interest in what the SEC is doing in this area. So can you give us some background? Yeah, absolutely. I might start off with what they had to say about uh, relief that they offered to companies with respect to their upcoming SEC filings. So if you recall, the SEC previously granted deadline relief to companies with filings due on or before April 30th. And then on March 25th, they extended that relief to cover filings that would otherwise be due between March 1st and and July 1st. So they extended that relief essentially to July 1st. And that relief gives an extra 45 days to file. Okay. So I'm sure good news for many of our listeners. And Eric, specifically, what types of filings would that cover? So so there there are a number of filings that are subject to the order, and it it definitely includes the uh, upcoming 10Qs. It also includes 10Ks and, and 20Fs, anything that would be due before July 1st. It's important to highlight with respect to the relief that it's only available to a filing that cannot be made on time due to circumstances related to COVID-19. One of the requirements of the order is that any companies taking advantage of it need to furnish an 8K or, or a 6K for foreign issuers before the original filing deadline. And in that 8K, companies would disclose that they're taking advantage of the order and they would need to explain certain details regarding the situation and, and a risk factor disclosure material. Okay, so then let me just make sure I understand because normally if a company is going to be late with a filing, they would file a 12B25 with the SEC. So then do you do both or which one is applicable if you're trying to take advantage of this relief? So this is an important point. So so if companies need an extension and if the delay is due to COVID-19, it's important that they file the 8K prior to the deadline. And then they would not need to file a 12B25, which as you mentioned, is the form you would normally file with missing a deadline. On March 31st, the SEC actually published two new CDIs, which, which addressed this question. They clarified that if a company misses the original deadline and files a 12B25 without filing an 8K for the extension related to COVID-19, then that company would not be able to subsequently seek a COVID-related extension if they're unable to file after the additional 15 days or five days in the case of a 10Q that came from filing the 12B25. So essentially, if, if the delay is COVID-related, the 45-day extension only comes from filing the 8K on or before the original due date. And then if after the 45 days, if a company is still not able to file, 
they would then be permitted to rely on Rule 12B25, which would provide 15 more days for annual reports and five days for quarterly reports, even after that 45-day extension. So I know in addition to the deadline relief, the FCC's also put out some guidance on disclosures. So what can you share with us there? That's right. So, so on March 25th, the, the staff of the Division of Corporation Finance issued some guidance for companies to consider related to all the impacts of, of COVID-19. And just to be clear, this, this guidance isn't a rule per se, but, but it does provide a helpful outline of the areas where companies should be focused and, and provides the current views of the staff and, and comments that they may be issuing as they review some of these future filings. They also made it clear that in addressing both the existing gap and SEC disclosure rules, that some of these disclosures on COVID-19 are going to be relevant essentially throughout the entire document. In their guidance, they, they specifically mentioned questions that address the, the MDNA, the business section, risk factors, legal proceedings, disclosure controls and procedures, as well as internal control. And that's not even to mention the, the financial statements, of course, right? But it really is essentially the entire filing that could be impacted or that companies should be considering COVID-19 disclosures. Exactly. The considerations go across the board. So I'd encourage preparers to, to review the disclosure guidance that's issued by the SEC and, and to really consider each of the questions that were posed. The, the guidance itself is only a few pages. And, and just to give a little flavor for what kinds of questions the SEC is asking, I'll give you just a few. How has COVID-19 and the changing economic outlook impacted your financial condition and results? And, and how do you expect it to impact your future results? How has COVID-19 impacted your overall liquidity and outlook? What material uncertainties may exist, including your ability to meet debt covenant compliance? Will there be changes in judgments about fair value measurements? And do you anticipate any material impairments? Have remote work arrangements adversely affected your financial reporting systems or internal control over financial reporting or disclosure controls and procedures? That's just a few of the questions, right? But overall, the, the guidance is encouraging companies to consider all of the potential impacts and to provide tailored disclosures specific to the company's facts and circumstances. They've also reminded companies to make sure they take the necessary steps to avoid selective disclosures by disseminating that information broadly to the public. Okay, so you can obviously get this on the SEC website, but we'll include it in our show notes as well, because to Eric's point, it is short and it's always helpful to kind of check out that type of thing yourself, because even from the examples that he gave, it's pretty much every company will have something to consider from these different things. So then, Eric, maybe moving on to some specific parts of the filing, you mentioned um, and we reiterated that it's pretty much could be any section of the filing that's impacted by considering COVID-19. But how about specific to the financial statements? Are there any specific items that companies should hone in on there? Uh, definitely. And overall, while the interim financial statements generally have fewer disclosure requirements than for annual financial statements, there are some areas which are worth highlighting, especially for this quarter. One area in particular where the interim disclosure requirements are, are consistent with annual requirements is ASC 275 related to risks and uncertainties. The reason I highlight ASC 275 here is that it requires companies to disclose whatever there is known information before the 10Q is filed, that it is reasonably possible that an estimate could change in the near term, and if the effect of that change would be material to the financial statements. So 
as companies are thinking through all the questions highlighted in the SEC's guidance, and, and as accounting estimates may be updated or may need to be updated further in the future, I'd remind companies to consider providing incremental disclosure here if it's reasonably possible that some of the direct or, or indirect effects of COVID-19 could materially affect their, their accounting estimates. The, the types of disclosures on estimates, which would might need to be updated, include the impairments, uh, inventory obsolescence, tax valuation allowances, or, or purchase price allocations for, for business combinations. One other reminder for companies is that while many of the disclosures are, are only required on an annual basis, companies do still need to consider whether the impacts of COVID or, or anything else happening during the quarter may have resulted in a significant change in their accounts. While AC 270 and Article 10 do allow for reduced interim disclosures, the SEC does still expect companies to disclose if there are any significant changes in the amount or composition of a balance during the period. So in a quarter like this, where COVID-19 may be having a significant impact throughout the financial statements, it's certainly worth remembering that to the extent there are significant changes coming through in this quarter, the details of those changes would need to be disclosed as well. Okay, so then Eric, that was a long list, but I think a good reminder for our audience that there could be all different places where maybe historically for a quarter, you wouldn't need to make a disclosure, but you may need to this quarter because of specific facts and circumstances. And I think in particular, you know, I've done some recent podcasts on topics like impairment, fair value, and other considerations, and those would be areas that may uh, need additional disclosure this quarter. So then with that, why don't we move into another topic, which is that the disclosure guidance specifically mentions liquidity. If we go back to that list we referenced from the SEC, what should companies be thinking about for Q1 as they look at their liquidity disclosures? Just a reminder from liquidity and a, and a going concern perspective, the going concern assessment is, is something that's required at each interim reporting date, as well as for annual reporting date. And that going concern assessment covers the period one year from the financial statement issuance date. And the going concern requirement is to evaluate whether there are any conditions and events in the aggregate that raise substantial doubt about a company's ability to continue as a going concern. Many companies might be experiencing a material impact to their liquidity from COVID-19. And, and for some companies, that could impact their ability to continue as a going concern. Some of the types of disclosures that will be important for companies to consider will be, what do they expect the current effects of COVID-19 to be? Uh, what do they expect the future effects of COVID-19 to be on future periods? And, and how are they planning to uh, respond to these evolving events and uncertainties? In this context, when I think about the financial statements specifically, disclosure of, of management's plans might include their actions that are being taken to reduce costs, uh, any plans for new borrowings, plans to raise new capital, or, or any planned liquidation of assets. I think those are good reminders, and this is an area that companies will especially want to make sure that they're talking to their auditors. So then we've talked a lot about the financial statements. You said it's pretty much the entire filing. So what are some other highlights? The risk factors comes to mind uh, right away. Based on the regulation SK rules with respect to risk factors, the disclosure requirement is actually an annual one with respect to the 10K. Then when it comes to the 10Q, the SEC only requires disclosure if there are material changes from those risks that were previously disclosed in the most recent 10K. So when we think about most calendar year-end companies, they 
would have filed their 10Ks in February or early March. And I'm sure everyone would agree that a lot has changed since then. And we're getting new information all the time on a daily basis. So with that said, it'll be important for companies to consider whether there are any new risk factors or or updates to previous risk factors that need to be included in, in this 10Q filing. It's also worth a reminder that under the SK rules, companies should not simply present generic risks that could apply to anyone, but they're expected to use plain English to explain how those risks apply to them specifically. So again, given all that's changed in the last few weeks, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see companies providing updates to their risk factors in, in this Q1, 10Q. This is something that's not meant to be boilerplate, but really should speak to the company's facts and circumstances, this especially as you're looking at the impact of COVID-19 on, on your company. Um, so then why don't we move on to another important area of the 10Q, which would be management's discussion analysis and non-GAAP. And what types of things should companies think about as they're preparing their analysis for this quarter? Yeah, definitely. So it was interesting that the SEC staff in in their comments acknowledge in the guidance that companies may wish to present non-GAAP measures, uh, which which may adjust in some way for the effect of COVID-19. And and the guidance that they mentioned could apply to to earnings releases, but it's also relevant for any non-GAAP measures that could be used in the MD&A as well. If companies did wish to use a new measure metric, it it is important to remember some of the basics around non-GAAP. So Non-GAAP measures should should not be more prominent than the most directly comparable GAAP measure. And companies must also remember to disclose why management finds the measure useful and how it would help investors to assess the impact of COVID-19 on the company's financial position and the results of operations. The SEC's guidance also addressed the scenario where where a non-GAAP measure that's used in an earnings release might need to be reconciled to a provisional amount or a range of reasonably estimated gap results. And so just a reminder, when we think about the 10Q, that, that while that may be helpful for companies releasing earnings before the gap results are final, for example, if they're still working through finalizing a, an impairment charge, when it comes to the 10Q, that reconciliation to a provisional amount would no longer be relevant since, by definition, the GAAP results will be final by the time of the 10Q filing. And are these comments on non-GAAP in the same released from the SEC from March 25th that we referenced earlier, or as a separate document? No, that's right. The, those comments were included in, in the disclosure guidance, top, top, topic number nine. Perfect. All right. So companies can look there um, for more information on that. So then another topic that I know is top of mind for many people is changes to internal control. So with everyone or many people working from home or otherwise distributed and and processes potentially and procedures changing, what should companies think of this? They look at their disclosures around internal control over financial reporting. Right. So as you mentioned, there's a lot to think about from an internal control perspective. And the SEC's guidance just does touch on some of those questions, whether they're changes in working practices or, or changes in control owners or, or maybe new controls being put into place. From a disclosure perspective, I remind companies that item four of the Form 10Q requires companies to disclose any change in internal controls that are occurring during the quarter that have materially affected or is reasonably likely to materially affect ICFR going forward. So in a world where, where a lot of companies have employees that are working from home and things are getting done a little differently than they were just a few months ago, companies are encouraged to 
ensure their internal controls are still designed and operating effectively. And, and to the extent they do have any material changes, to, to remember to make the appropriate disclosures in item four. Okay, and I think another point on internal control that's probably relevant for companies to think about is they may be addressing accounting issues that they haven't addressed recently, or in some cases, maybe that they haven't addressed. And so making sure that you have the right controls over things like impairments, etc., will also be important. Before we move off of this topic of SEC filings, I know there's a lot of interest in just what we're seeing in sort of our examination of all the filings that are out there. So can you give some overview of the current landscape? So thinking back of a few weeks, when we looked at the S&P 500 annual reports that had been filed in, in February and, and, and in early March, there, there were just around 40% of those that referenced COVID-19 or the coronavirus in, in some way. And since then, there's been a steady increase in the amount of disclosure, both in, in annual and in quarterly reports. Since March 19, all of the filings that we've seen from S&P 500 companies have included some mention of COVID-19. The majority of those included disclosure in the footnotes as well. So given everything that we've been talking about here with respect to, to the impacts that COVID-19 can have throughout the whole document, we expect to see the substantial majority of companies disclosing something related to it in this Q1 reporting cycle. Going back to your point, it'll be important that what you're disclosing is relevant to your company because obviously the impact is very different depending on the business that uh, you're in. So with that, we've spent a lot of time talking about COVID-19 for the quarter, but there are a few other areas to touch on. Um, maybe starting with, I know that the SEC has been busy with COVID-19, but also has put out some new guidance that actually could provide some relief this quarter. So can you highlight and then we'll go into some um, gap disclosure considerations. Right, definitely. So, so before we, we started talking about COVID-19, on, on March 2nd, from a rulemaking perspective, the, the SEC did make significant changes to its disclosure requirements related to certain debt securities. In, in the final rules that they issued, they, they followed through on simplifying disclosure requirements for registered debt that contain guarantees or that have certain collateral features. The most significant change that I want to highlight relates to companies which may have registered debt with guarantees and the requirement to provide condensed consolidating financial statements in the footnotes for the parent, issuer, guarantor, and non-guarantor entities, assuming certain relief conditions have been met. And so the new rules, they, they simplify the disclosure requirements with the most significant change being to eliminate the need to provide those consolidating financial statements and instead to provide summarized financial information for issuer and guarantor entities. Also, that, that summarized information may be provided outside of the financial statements. These rules are effective January 2021, but early compliance is permitted immediately. And while these new rules do result in simplification of the disclosures, which is great, there are a few nuances to the rules, and it's not as simple as just collapsing some of the information in the old disclosure and then moving it to the MD&A. So if companies are interested in early compliance with this rule, I'd recommend reading our in-depth, which was released on March 10th through CFO Direct, which, which goes into a lot more detail. Great. And I do know, Eric, that this could provide welcome relief to companies. So definitely encourage you to check out the in-depth. And so then with that, why don't we move off of the SEC for a few minutes and just give a few other quick highlights for the quarter, perhaps starting with some good news on leasing. 
Oh, absolutely. So happy to share some some good news, right? So uh, from a leasing <laughs> perspective, for, for most calendar year-end companies, 2020 will be year two of having applied the new leases guidance under ASC 842. And so the good news is that, that the interim disclosure requirements under ASC 842 are actually very limited, and, and they only relate to disclosures of lease income for arrangements of a lessor. For any companies that only have a lease of arrangements as a lessee, there are actually no specific disclosure requirements on an interim basis. However, I would caveat that, as I mentioned earlier, if you do have a significant change in your leasing arrangements, that would still be required for disclosure. Okay, that's helpful. And then, Eric, how about new standards that would be effective as of January 1 for calendar year-end entities? Any key reminders there? Absolutely. So there are a handful of new accounting standards that are effective, and I'll, I'll touch on just a couple. The new cloud computing standard changes the accounting for implementation costs for hosting arrangements, which will now be capitalized, similar to how the purchase of, of licensed software had been treated previously. And from a disclosure perspective, companies will need to include discussion of the nature of the hosting arrangement as well as all the relevant disclosures under ASE 360 related to long-lived assets. And that covers the amounts capitalized during the period, the amounts amortized to expense, and any significant judgments made in applying that guidance. The other new standard that I'm sure most of our listeners are well aware of is, is ASC 326, or credit losses, or, or CECL. So firstly, I should mention that the CARES Act recently passed by Congress does provide an option for certain financial institutions and certain other companies to defer adoption of CECL. And that was aimed at potentially easing the burden of adoption given all the impacts of COVID-19. However, that, that relief is limited. So for most companies, CECL is still applicable. And that means that for the Q1 10Qs, companies will need to include all of the required annual disclosures in each interim period in 2020, which is required in the year of adoption of the new accounting standard. As we think about the CESOL disclosures, there are extensive qualitative and quantitative disclosure requirements throughout the standard. The purpose of these disclosures is, is to enable the financial statement user to understand the credit risk in a company's portfolio, to understand how management is monitoring that credit risk, to give insight as to how management develops the estimates of expected credit losses and to disclose any changes in those estimates during the reporting period. So again, the, the purpose of these disclosures is to enable the reader to understand how the allowance is being calculated, what has changed during the period, and giving investors that understanding is, is just so much more important during times of economic uncertainty like we're in today. Yeah, I agree. And, and for listeners that are interested in more on CECL in particular, I would definitely encourage uh, you to check out the COVID-19 CECL podcast that we released on March 26th. And that we also did a sort of five things you need to know about CECL podcast in November. But in addition, you referenced the CARES Act, and we will be releasing a podcast later this week on the CARES Act. Definitely more to come on some of these topics or, or more resources on some of these topics. Um, so then with that, Eric, you've definitely given us a lot to think about, but any final thoughts before we wrap up? Certainly a lot to think about. So I just encourage, you know, early and prompt communication, both internally and, and potentially on some of these matters with companies' auditors as well. And I'd add that in the disclosure guidance, as well as in some public statements, the SEC has, has actually encouraged companies to reach out if they do have any questions. So whether that's related to the 
the deadline relief related to the disclosure guidance or, or just any other concerns with respect to COVID-19, would definitely encourage companies to reach out if they do have any questions. Okay, great. Eric, thanks again for joining me today. Thanks, Heather. As we continue to provide coverage on the latest issues affecting your financial reporting in the current environment, we have two more episodes for you this week. So please keep an ear out for our episodes on revenue collectability and the CARES Act. So that you never miss an episode, subscribe to this series wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I'd love to hear from you. So write to me at heather.horn at pwc.com or to stay up to date on the latest content, Let's Connect on LinkedIn. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.